Hi, and welcome to the Functionally Fit Podcast. I'm Jen Rice, and today we have a very special guest who uh, is our actual first guest ever that is a certified nutrition specialist. And I'm just so glad that she's made the time to join us because I think we're all going to get a lot out of this interview. Um, Sunny Brigham is here with us, joining us from Texas. Hi, Sunny. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so, um, you know, we'll kind of dive right into what she specializes in, which is Hashimoto's. But if you're maybe listening in and you're not even really sure, you know, what is Hashimoto's? It has to do with the thyroid. We'll maybe quickly kind of explain what it is. Um, And really, you've created now an entire practice on helping people with it. So it's super common. and, And we definitely want to dive right into why you think that that could be also. So I'm just so glad to have you here. And if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit first off before we get into that of, um, you know, how you became a nutrition specialist and like, what made you do that? Because I know before we hit go, we were talking a little bit about your background in the military and uh, having a 20 year career there, but now being involved in helping other people in a different way. And uh, if you could share with us a little bit about that journey, I think it'd be, be really helpful. Yeah. So uh, like you said, I spent 20 years in the military and just like anybody else who has spent any amount of time in the military, kind of towards your, your end of time, when you know that, you know, it's going to come to an end, you start to think about second careers. Um, I spent a lot of my time early, early, and I would say early to mid military career, just not treating my body right, not eating very well. Um, you know, just like every other 20 or early 30 year old out there eating convenience foods. I had two small kids, so it was really whatever I could prepare very quickly. Um, but I spent a lot of time being exhausted, um, feeling like my body just wasn't doing what I wanted it to do or feeling like every day I woke up and it was just different than the previous day. Um, when I met my now husband, uh, he was very into, um, health and nutrition. Um, some of his views were a little extreme if I'm being honest, but (laughs) he's, he's the one that kind of got me interested in, um, you know, feeling a little bit better using food to kind of fuel my body instead of to harm my body. Um, and so was he like vegan or, um, no, 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 no. was he, no, not the kind of eating extreme. Yeah. Not, not like that. No, it was just, um, it was very, uh, I'm trying to phrase this the correct way. Like well thought out, like he did a lot of planning around food or more so than I know I never planned around food. Like it was literally, I'm hungry, find something until recently, which I've planned more now. Yeah, no, I think his was, he would read a blog and take it at face value and say, this is it. This is what we're doing. So his, his, the things that he would do, um, would kind of change on a day-to-day basis. Mm. I don't know that his views have changed that much. I still think he does some of that where he'll read a blog and it's like, this is it. This is what I'm doing with my life right now. Um, but he's the one that kind of got me into it to really start to research and just more so pay attention to how foods made me feel. Um, so I really kind of started to just slowly change my diet and realize like, oh, wow, I can, I can have energy. 
who knew I didn't need, you know, a two hour nap after I would come home from work and then deal with insomnia. That was, I would get like four hours of sleep a night and then two hours in the afternoon. And that's how I lived for a good five or six years. Um, so he was the one that kind of sparked my interest, but once you kind of dive into the nutrition world, it's like this whole new door opens to you of all of these things that you never knew could happen or could even be possible with your body because they're just not, they should be mainstream in, you know, information, but it's just not, you know, nobody's on the news talking about the, uh, the harm of fast food or the harm of, um, you know, eating things that don't necessarily agree with your body, agree at moderation and everything. But sometimes at some point in life, we just need to prioritize ourselves and prioritize our health. Um, so that kind of got me into being interested in nutrition. So I went back to school and got my master's before I retired from the military. And I started my practice so that like, as I was transitioning out of the military, I was kind of starting to see clients and help people. That's, that's fantastic. I think one thing I want to clarify too, for listeners is that this isn't uh, like a weekend course on nutrition, this becoming a certified nutrition specialist, there's quite a few things that, that go into this and time. So I, I'd like to bring this up on the podcast because just because something's available somewhere doesn't mean it, it doesn't need to be like researched a little bit. I was just talking through with a friend of mine about, um, you know, seeing someone to help with with something that she has going on. And really uh, just because something's offered somewhere, you need to make sure that the person is credentialed or at least um, has a reference or, or, you know, this is important too, because you can just trade certain problems for other problems, right? If you're not working with someone that has the, um, you know, experience and, and the time behind it. So I know you and I were talking about over a thousand hours of supervised like that that's a lot and um also the board exam and having a master's in nutrition i took nutrition in college years ago and i, I got to see because it's like it's not easy <laughs> so but obviously it wasn't the, the career choice for me not you know, but um, I'm not going to, I just want to give you credit where it's like, those are very difficult. Um, there's a lot to that. Can you elaborate a little bit on uh, what it means to be a certified nutrition specialist? And maybe if someone too is listening and they've ever been curious about what that entails, um, that would be awesome. Yeah. It, what's funny is I was just having a conversation with somebody before we got on here about how once you dive into school, you don't realize how much you don't know about nutrition until you realize just how much you don't know about nutrition, because it's so much more than eat your fruits and vegetables and, you know, drink your water. There's so much more to it. Um, but yes, becoming a, a CNS is it's a process and it takes, uh, if you do it fast track, you're looking at a minimum of three, three and a half years. And most people, it takes anywhere from four to four and a half years to, to get the CNS credential. Um, so I had to get, I had to go back to school and get my master's in nutrition. There was a lot of science classes like biochemistry and organic chemistry, which is not my favorite. <laughs> uh, 
I know. I didn't do that well in that one either, but yeah, that's a tough one. Um, and then I had to do, I uh, had to work under a supervisor and obtain a thousand hours of education, community education, seeing clients, um, making sure that I was providing them with the correct recommendations and all the references that go with that. Um, and then eventually I had to top it off by passing a, um, a board exam. And so we're kind of ranked up there with a registered dietitian in that in some states we can get licensed as a licensed dietitian nutritionist. Um, some states we can't, but it's going to vary from, you know, location to location. So it's not like an overnight correspondence course, or I just woke up one day and said, I'm going to be a nutritionist. Right. There's a lot, there's a lot of work and education involved. Yeah. I think that's so key to hear. And guess, I was going to say to everyone, guess how much we learn about nutrition in PA school. 0, 0.0 hours and minutes. So, um, you know, I think that perhaps, I mean, I went to PA school in 2003 to 2005. Um, potentially they're bringing in, but I, I really think it's, it's just, since it's core concepts of allopathic medicine, although you would think that the way we eat and helping patients eat better um, could be a definite core curriculum. I don't think it exists currently in the medical model of um, PA school, at least it definitely wasn't there when we were there. And um, I think it's a big hole in the system. So when, when patients feel like they're doctor, PA, or nurse practitioner in family practice or whatever specialist you're visiting isn't really helping them with, maybe they'll say it'd be a great idea to lose weight or if you could eat like, it's because we don't know, <laughs> you know, like unless we've taken other classes outside of, and it's become a passion or we've gotten other education, we really just don't know what you should be doing. And I think that having someone like you as part of the team is really probably how a lot of people are utilizing you also, right? Like they're, they have their primary care doctor, maybe they see a functional medicine doctor or not, but they have you to help them really dial in on what's going on with the nutrition and how, I think one great thing we could get into a little bit is the healing power of food and how does that even work? And a lot of people are like, oh, okay, blah, blah, you know, vegetables, fruit, okay, drink more water, dot, dot, dot. But can you talk to us a little bit about like how this is really working? How, how is food really doing what it needs to do and the bad in the process, junk food, like what's going on there? Yeah. So I, I kind of take a little bit different approach and I, I tell my clients that there's no bad food, right? Because food does something for us on all levels of the spectrum, whether it's an emotional response or a physical response, right? Because what we might call a bad food, like let's say a cheeseburger from McDonald's, that certainly does something for us from on an emotional level, maybe not on a physical level, but definitely on an emotional level. So I try to work on reframing thoughts around food so that we don't feel guilty when we have some of these foods, you know, if we indulge and have some chocolate or some ice cream, there's not that guilt that kind of comes with it, but trying to balance out food in general. So fruits and vegetables are the crux of where you get the majority of your nutrients from. Those are the nutrients that feed your energy production cycle. 
your internal detoxification cycle. So your liver and your kidneys detox your body all day long, but often we're not giving the, the body the nutrients it needs for some of those cycles to run the way that they should like really important B vitamins or selenium or uh, iodine when it comes to the thyroid. And a lot of people have no idea, well, where the heck do I get selenium from in my diet? So sometimes we'll turn to supplements in order to supplement the diet, but you can't really out supplement a not so great diet. Right. But food is very powerful to the body. It can hurt us and it can heal us. Um, the easiest way to kind of explain how it could hurt us is a good portion of your immune system lies inside of your digestive tract. So some people will say 70%, some people will say 80%. I'll just agree that a good portion lies inside the intestinal tract and your immune system is there for a good reason. It's there to help fight off any viruses, pathogens, or bugs, or anything like that, that comes into your body on your food. But sometimes foods that you consume can actually ramp up the immune system. So if you were to get a cut on the top of your hand and the very first day, it's, it's not going to be super painful. It's not going to look it's going to be a nice clean cut. It's not going to look too bad, but then the next day it's going to be gnarly and really kind of inflamed looking and start to form a scab. If you were to wake up every single morning and just rip that scab off, eventually that cut might become infected. It's going to heal with a scar. It's just never going to look right. And that process kind of happens inside the digestive tract. When we eat these foods that our body doesn't like over and over and over again, we're kind of creating these little scabs and cuts inside your intestinal tract. And when we have that, then things that were meant to be excreted in your stool end up getting out into your bloodstream and they start to create systemic inflammation and you get an increased amount of joint pain, or you get fatigue, or you get hypertension or high cholesterol, or you get elevated liver enzymes. Sometimes it's just going to depend on what people are, are dealing with, or in the case of the autoimmune world, you're going to get a lot of stress in your system. That's going to flip your autoimmune gene switch on. And now you're going to develop an autoimmune condition. Excellent way to break that down for us. And you were talking about autoimmune. I think it's a great segue to you specialize now in helping people with autoimmune, but not, not even just all autoimmune, but like really one kind of autoimmune condition. And if you could share with us a little bit about how you kind of gravitated there and what, um, you know, what sparked that as being like a focus. Yeah. So I, I started um, early in practice, I was helping women um, that were having hormone imbalance, bloating and digestive issues. Mm. And so if, if anybody out there has Hashimoto's, they know that those are some of the major symptoms that they deal with unexplained weight gain, constant chronic fatigue, um, and their body's just not really, they just don't feel like themselves anymore. And so I noticed that time and time again, a lot of my clients were eventually being diagnosed with Hashimoto's or women that were coming to me as new clients had Hashimoto's disease. And so the more that I worked with them, the more I realized that this is a very chronic underdiagnosed, but very growing autoimmune condition today. It's still very underdiagnosed, but oddly enough, it's the number one diagnosed autoimmune condition with Hashimoto's comes typically additional autoimmune conditions, namely celiac disease and rheumatoid arthritis are typically the most common that we see, but you can also get, or you can develop psoriasis or multiple sclerosis or 
um, Shrogan sometimes. So it just depends on, um, you know, what's going on in the body. Some people just have one autoimmune condition, but that's kind of what drove me to really dive deep into the research and dive deep into learning how to help these women. Um, and I learned that I had a good approach and I was really good at helping them, you know, heal their bodies and feel like them old, their old selves again. I, I love that. So how does someone know if they have Hashimoto's and, and if they are getting the right testing even done at the primary doctor, like what could they, could they audit like their blood work recently? And would they be looking for like a certain, you know, that some, I want to bring this up because there are still several practicing doctors, PAs, NPs that are drawing for an annual physical that have a TSH. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Maybe sometimes a T3, T4. So can, can you kind of, you know, go into that just a little bit so that someone could pull their, if they wanted to pull off, like nowadays, a lot of people can go on the portal and mm -hmm. look at their last blood work and um, what would they be looking for there? Yeah. So when it comes to Hashimoto's, you actually need additional testing in order to get diagnosed for that. I would say if anybody listening to this right now has been diagnosed with hypothyroidism and they have never had Hashimoto's disease ruled out, I would book an appointment with your primary care physician in order to get your labs run. You want to la uh, run the thyroid peroxidase antibodies and your thyroid globulin antibodies. Those are the two primary tests that they use to diagnose Hashimoto's. The next thing that you can do, and this sometimes happens, is women will notice that their thyroid is really inflamed, so they eventually get a scan or an ultrasound, and the way that it looks, the doctor can diagnose Hashimoto's from that, but by and large, the majority of the diagnosis comes from those two tests, but they aren't run generally, so if I have a client new to me that is coming up on their annual physical, those are tests that I will typically ask for. If I have a hypothyroid client, even if they're not coming up on a physical, I will have them, you know, I think it's a good idea to make an appointment with your physician so we can get these labs run to just at the very least rule it out. Because from the nutrition side, how we approach Hashimoto's is drastically different than how we approach hypothyroidism. From the medical side, there is no difference. Right. So the, what about men? Um, that's what one thing I was thinking about when you were saying like, same thing. Absolutely. Men can have Hashimoto's. It's more common in women, but they can have it. I had a client, um, this was a couple years ago, but he was recently diagnosed with hypothyroidism and it scared him. And I said, well, you know, you've got to go back and get your thyroid checked in 30 days since you're on medication. Let's go ahead and just add some antibodies in there. Sure enough, he had Hashimoto's as well. So it's, it's, even though it's more prevalent in women, it definitely can happen in men. And what changes then with the, so then they may come back and they say, oh yes, I, you know, I do have it. And um, what's your kind of first steps then? So the first steps that I like to do with people is I like to have them do what I call a food mood log. I want them to track what they're eating and how it makes them feel. Calories, macronutrients, protein, gram, none of that matters to me. What matters most is the foods that they're consuming and how they feel when they consume those foods. Because what we're looking for is foods that are triggering some of their symptoms because 
stress is a primary driver behind Hashimoto's to kind of simplify it is stress across the board that can be internal stress or external stress. Internal stress would be our thoughts, our emotions, our foods that we consume, uh, our lack of sleep or altered sleep cycles or altered circadian rhythm, high cortisol levels or altered cortisol levels. And external stress would be sometimes things that you can control, but sometimes things you can't control like kids. Kids are typically a stressor, uh, a high stress job, living in a high traffic area where you might have a lot of environmental exposures, uh, working in a factory, um, having a boss that you know expects you to work wonders in two minutes time. All of those are kind of external stressors, but stress is the primary driver behind Hashimoto. So um, food, like I said, food is a stress. So we always start there is let's identify your food triggers while we work to manage stress a little bit better for you. And in, and while this is going on with the food, what, uh, cause I am a PA in dermatology. I don't really treat thyroid at all. Um, what are the primary folks doing the primary care doctors, PAs, NPs? Are they, does it change their medicine from, I know there's, I see a bunch of patients, levothyroxine, Synthroid, like I see that on there. Is there a different do you see them change a medicine based on it being Hashimoto's or it's just, it's the same medicine? It's, it's the same medicine. The medicine doesn't actually treat the Hashimoto's. Mm -hmm. And I think this is why um, it's very underdiagnosed and often why people get the runaround at their PCP or their endocrinologist as far as getting labs, because when it comes to medication, there is no magic pill. There is no cream. There is nothing that you can give to somebody for Hashimoto's on the medical side of thing. It's all lifestyle and nutrient driven. Um, so the medication is primarily to treat the degradation in the thyroid, which comes with the autoimmune condition because your, your immune system is attacking enzymes in your thyroid, which causes that degradation. And then you eventually develop hypothyroidism. Hypothyroidism is what gets diagnosed by and large Hashimoto's comes first. Um, so that levothyroxine, the Synthroid, the Armor, the Lyothyronine, all of those medications are just to balance the thyroid hormones. They do nothing for the, the thyroid antibodies and they do nothing to help with Hashimoto's, unfortunately. And that brings us to, uh, and I know this from a, a girlfriend of mine who was left at the decision of I believe the next step in allopathic conventional medicine is to radiate the thyroid and there's sort of an extreme measure or remove it. Um, and she, her story is, is quite amazing and that she also used food to keep that from happening. And I'm not, if you're listening to this, you know, we're making no guarantees. I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to your, your doctor or your specialist, but this, um, I think, is this what you hear that that's the next step when it's, when it keeps going uncontrolled, the next recommendation is radiation of the thyroid or removal, or do you hear different things? With Hashimoto's, it's usually removal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's usually, if they can't get the thyroid hormones balanced with medication, then removal is usually the next step. Without any diet interventions. Without, without any diet interventions. Yeah. And can you speak to a little bit of the success that, and again, we're saying it's not guaranteed, obviously you have to involve your healthcare team, but are you seeing people, um, I know your whole 
practice is now on helping people reverse this. So number one, has it been reversible for people? Yes. And so it is reversible and it has been reversible in, in people. I've been pretty successful with that. Um, but I think it's important to understand what reversing it means. It's kind of like putting it in remission, right? It can always pop out. It can show back up. If you come to a high stress point in your life, if you, um, you know, get really, really sick with a, you know, a debilitating disease or a chronic illness, or God forbid that you should, you know, get cancer or leukemia or something that is in a significant stressor for your body that can always pull that disease back out of remission. So once you have it, you have it for life. It's just a matter of, can you keep the symptoms at bay and can you keep your antibodies in the normal range? Or is it going to be kind of running out of control, attacking your thyroid, further degrading it from there, and then kind of causing these symptoms. So it is hundred percent doable just in the last, um, where are we at in January? In the last four months, we've had two women in my group program um, hit remission. One of them came off of thyroid medication completely. So it's it's 100% doable. It doesn't come, you know, easy. There is work involved. Everybody has to, you know, do the work and commit to the process, but it is possible. And is this um, once you, I know you mentioned the food, mood log, and then certain uh then you're taking kind of a deeper approach based on obviously everyone's going to be, there's not like an algorithm for each, for the whole group, right? It's like each person's going to have um, somebody might, dairy might be it, other people it's food and other people it's corn or whatever it might be, right? And then they're just focusing on this sort of, right, removal of that thing from, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I always think it's, Sometimes people will say, oh, you know, elimination, removal, it sounds so, I almost think it's like, you got to almost flip the script of, we're not, we're, there's going to be other things that you can eat and there's going to be other joy in food. It's just going to, it's just going to have to change a little bit. Um, I know because personally I've gone through a big food change about four years ago and continue to kind of stay on that eating path. And I don't not enjoy food anymore. Um, I definitely think that you can find new things that are satisfying. And as far as the emotional eating part, definitely more than familiar with that personally (laughs) and struggle with that my entire life. Um, As a kid, I had so much comfort in, you know, peanut butter and jelly and Doritos and McDonald's and all the things, right? And Dairy Queen and all the things. So, you know, I totally get that, but I can still suffice that a bit with some other things that maybe just aren't quite, um, you know, have as much like we talk about this, like toxic or inflammatory load. Right. Yeah. So when I know you work, um, like globally and your, um, the things that you offer are really international, you do one-on-one, you have a group program, and then you have this amazing free Facebook group. Can, can you tell us a little bit about your Facebook group and what goes on in there? Yeah. So the Facebook group is called Reversing Hashimoto's with Nutrition, catchy name. Yeah. Um, and what we do is we try to provide as much free information as possible to help women. The, the group is geared towards women, but we do have some men in there. If somebody comes to the group with Hashimoto's, I'm not going to deny them. Right. Um, 
but we try to provide as much free information as possible. Uh, once a month, we do a free nutrition consultation in the group as well. Um, so we try to give as much free resources and as much science-backed information as possible because there is a lot of scare tactic nutrition information out there when it comes to um, Hashimoto's and what you can and cannot have. I get people that come to me that are on the autoimmune protocol diet, AIP, which is um, it's not something that I aligns with me from a fundamental um, perspective, because like you mentioned, a lot of people struggle with emotional eating. And if you take out three quarters of their diet, that's just going to drive them, you know, crazy. It would me. Um, and so it's, it's not how I approach things. So I try to bust some myths in there. I try to get everybody on the correct path. I try to motivate as much as I can as well, because um, like I mentioned earlier, it all comes down to actually doing the work. You can stay up late. You can research, you know, until the cows come home, you can have 18 tabs open on your browser, reading success story after success story, but none of that is doing. It all comes from putting the effort in and taking that first step. So key. And we were saying earlier that your, your military background serves you well with, um, you know, organizing and helping people just develop, like, uh, it's almost like mental fortitude, but also, I mean, you know, we always say we like the, what is it? Um, iron fist, velvet glove, something like that, <laughs> right? Where, you know, you want to also you know, be a place that's safe for people to come to you for, you know, for questions. I mean, a lot of times this is incredibly, you know, personal, obviously how anything with health is um, nobody really can completely understand how someone else is feeling. But I think with what you've offered, it gives people a place to not only begin the conversation, but, but dig in deeper and I think one of the most important things you probably shared with us today was no, number one would be that it's completely underdiagnosed. And you could probably, if you're listening to this, you can hear even from my questions that those of us in allopathic medicine or that were conventionally trained really don't have a great grasp on. I'm not saying my colleagues that are in, in endocrine might not have a better grasp, obviously, but again, there is no pill for this, there are things that help it, but it's not a, there's no pill you take and it goes away, right? So when you see, um, have, do you then have people that have had their thyroid removed or irradiated and that are in your, um, you know, your circle or with your, or coaching clients and um, food then is still something that can really help manage other things. Yeah. From coming so those, on, right. From, yeah. This. So those people are just going to be stuck on thyroid medication, unfortunately, because you need those hormones in your body for a lot of your metabolic processes to happen. Um, so there's no hopes of ever coming off of medication for them, but you can still have Hashimoto's without a thyroid. There's no specific tissue for those antibodies to attack, then what they do is they kind of double down on the foods that you're consuming because there is some food that mimics thyroid tissue that the body will just attack so much more. Um, but the symptoms are still there. And so the whole goal is to really just help them balance their body out so that they can live like a normal life. Because unfortunately Hashimoto's is an invisible disease. People don't understand it. Um, 
so many people don't have the support through it that they need. You know, people understand cancer, right? Because at some point it becomes a very visible, um, a visible illness or, you know, when you get the diagnosis, people are like, oh yeah. So they get something like cancer. They don't get Hashimoto's because a lot of the symptoms aren't visible. Um, a lot of what they deal with on a day-to-day basis isn't visible to everybody else. So their spouses don't typically understand or their friends and family don't understand. And they say things like, can't you just get more sleep? Or why don't you just drink a coffee and get some energy? And it's it's just not that simple. Um, so the, the group typically provides them a lot of support. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a tough disease overall. Yeah, and before we wrap up, I mean, this has been excellent. Thank you so much for spending time today with us because I'm I'm learning a lot too. But why do you think this has become like so? How this has become more prevalent? Um, you know, do you feel like there's been this? Do you have any numbers or statistical? I mean, even like information on how much this has grown in the last ten or twenty years? Because I don't feel like it's something that you, we ever really even heard of or talked about much. I'm sure it was there. But say mm-hmm. like twenty five years ago, I don't remember studying a lot about it. Even was that eighteen years ago in school. So it seems like though, now I'm more familiar. I see like every, like I say, I look at a patient intake, everybody's on the thyroid medicine. Okay. It's like, as common as seeing a statin or, um, you know, omeprazole, mm-hmm. don't get me started on that, but, yes. um, <laughs> but a whole yeah. topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what, what do you think is going on there? Is it environment or Yeah, I think it's kind of a mix of a lot of things. Like I had mentioned before, stress in general, just stress, whether that's, you know, how we handle stress or our physical stress or our emotional stress or stress from foods, stress is what causes that gene to flip on for then you to, you know, you go on and you develop an autoimmune condition. We have so much stress more today than we ever have. Um, at work, we're expected to perform more with less means or in shorter periods of time. People are working, you know, 15 hour days, or you've got women that are working three jobs and are a single parent. Um, finances have to be stretched. That's also a stressor. Um, you've got emotional stress, you know, when, if you, especially if you're really struggling to pay bills, what are you doing at night when you finally get to bed? You're thinking about how am I going to pay this bill? What am I going to do here? If you uh, have a lot of um, pressure in your life, um, just from school. So there's a lot of college kids that are getting diagnosed with this. And it's just because they have this intense pressure, um, to perform, whether it's societal pressure that they have, you know, everybody has to get a college degree and be this amazing, fantastic person. Um, or is it pressure from their parents or is it pressure from their peers? So everybody is just under more scrutiny and more pressure and more stress today than they ever have been. And because of that stress, not only does that stress, you know, take a toll on our body, but that stress also drives our food habits as well. And so is if this, we're eating, is this sorry. ever, oh no, I was just going to ask if, is this ever viral triggered or infection triggered or maybe, or we don't really know. 
Yeah, I mean, it can be. It's typically, um, I mean, pregnancy is a really common trigger. Mm. Pregnancy is one. Um, sometimes, and I think I've only come across a couple people who had been sick in the past and then all of a sudden developed it. There are co-infections like um, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, uh, candida infections. Um, those typically don't always come with it. I mean, there are some practitioners that will say everybody's got SIBO or everybody's got candida and I haven't seen that. Um, so it's just, it doesn't really go along with it. There's, um, you know, a couple people will say it's Epstein-Barr, but if 90 something percent of the population has been exposed to Epstein-Barr, how can you truly say that, that that's the driver? Um, so viral or, or, you know, co-disease or anything like that, that's also, I mean, it could be a trigger if there is a significant amount of stress in the body um, enough to kind of flip that switch. But typically what it comes from is just um, pressure, stress, overall lifestyle, um, lack of exercise, lack of sleep. I mean, across the spectrum, kids and adults alike are just not getting enough sleep today, which is a pretty significant stressor on the body. Um, pressure, I mean, children, especially with social media, you've got, oh, yeah. you know, all the stressors that come from their peers. And then you've got, you know, parents that rave about to this other person's kids. And so now they get the pressure from the parents of, well, you've got to be on the A honor roll because Johnny's daughter was on the A honor roll kind of thing. So there's just a lot of um, pressures overall from the young and old. Um, like I told you before we started this in my, in my group, there's several mothers with eight and nine-year-old daughters that have Hashimoto's. So it's, it's kind of hitting everybody, unfortunately. Yeah. And how would one avoid this? Um, if somebody's listening, they're like, oh, my goodness, you know, they're getting uh, a little freaked out. But let's, you know, then they check their lab. OK, OK, OK. I don't have hyperthyroidism. Ah, OK, calm down. Stress reduction as a priority, period. Yeah. Stress management is huge. You can't always, you know, you can't sell your kids. You can't no. quit your job. You no. can't do any of these things that, you know, we might think about at times when we're really stressed <laughs> um, because you've got bills to pay. You've got, you know, children to bring up to be good people. You've got stuff that you have to do, right? We all have responsibilities, but we don't prioritize ourselves enough in those responsibilities. We prioritize so many other things above our own selves or our own health. So managing your response to some of those stressors is one of the best things that you can do. Prioritizing sleep would probably be top of my list. If you are not getting at least eight hours of quality sleep every night of the week, that would be a really great starting step in order to avoid just disease in general. I mean, sleep is huge. Okay. I love that. That's a, that's a great tip. And I think people you know, you can also seek out where you think that the holes may be like, obviously joining your Facebook group would be great. If you feel like that aligns, um, you know, something you want to learn about, I definitely encourage you to join her Facebook group. I also think if you, it, there's nothing wrong with having a therapist and there's nothing wrong with seeking that. And now more than ever, there's this access online. That's like, amazing and they're actually you know like really great people that are doing online you don't even have to leave your house you don't drive in traffic you can do it from your phone and if you don't want to be in your house you can be in your car somewhere and um or you know whether it's through your own sort of support if you are in a certain local group maybe it's religious maybe it's just a um, spiritual group maybe it's just an exercise group maybe it's just a group of women you like to have or men um, and women that you enjoy being with. And I think it's just making sure that 
you're allowing time for that space of not a to do, mm -hmm. you know, kind of enjoying it. And these last two years, there hasn't been a lot of space for that. I mean, yes, we've probably spent a lot more time alone and maybe you've had time to go on walks, but, you know, but as far as like that support, mm -hmm. it's, um, you're going to have to seek it out a bit and reach yeah. out to do it. So thank you so much, Sunny, for being here today. And if people want to connect with you a little bit more um, beyond the Facebook group, you also have uh, Instagram. What's your um, handle there? I do. It's uh, complete health underscore sunny is my um, Instagram name. And then I have a website. It's complete health SB for sunnybrigham.com. Great. And if, if you're, um, if you have certain questions, you want to reach out directly to sunny, there'll be information in the show notes too. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate yeah. you. I learned Thanks. a lot today. It's really, um, it's really, I think, an important topic to talk about more and more. And you, you're going to help. You've already helped a lot of people, but I hope too that this message today helps somebody. I hope so too. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode. This episode is sponsored by Love Your Gut Club. It's a membership platform to help you to heal and optimize gut health. We know when we focus on really maximizing how healthy our gut is, a lot of things will change, whether you're suffering from chronic illness, chronic smoldering symptoms, want to age better, want to perform better in work, in your relationship, just in all things in life. You can check out Love Your Gut Club. The membership is open for a limited time. If you visit Jen Rice, dot podia.com that's j-e-n-n-r-i-c-e dot podia p-o-d-i-a dot com